Hello and welcome to the Limitless Podcast with me, Joshua Patterson. I'm passionate about sharing the stories of courage and resilience. Each week, I will be interviewing extraordinary people from all different walks of life who saw past their statistics, who turned personal moments of adversity into strength. My hope is that this podcast can inspire you to step outside of your limits and achieve things you thought never possible. Welcome to Limitless. Before we welcome today's guest, I want to say a massive thank you to the sponsors of today's episode, Sweaty Betty. I launched this podcast to celebrate people's incredible mental and physical strength, which is why it's such a pleasure to work with a brand who champions these moments of success. Helping you to feel your most powerful, Sweaty Betty's products are designed by an all-female team, including their power leggings, which are made from high-stretch fabric, engineered to last and have the ability to motivate you to move and feel strong in your workouts. The Sweaty Betty team also wear test their products themselves, which really makes you realise how passionate they are about building an authentic female activewear brand. So for any female listeners out there who want to check out the brand for themselves, Sweaty Betty are offering 20% off using the code LIMITLESS at sweatybetty.com slash podcasts. They also host hundreds of free workout classes every week in their stores. So definitely worth keeping an eye out on how you can get involved with the Sweaty Betty community. Thank you so much, Sweaty Betty. On the 29th of October, Nirmal Purja, or better known as NIMS, would break a world record and climb the 14 highest mountains in the world in a staggering six months and six days, beating the previous record by over seven years the first Gurkha to become special forces, a man appointed an MBE, the saviour to six lives endangering his own. He's defied all those that laughed in his face and told him it would not be possible, all to inspire all generations across the world. I'm so excited to introduce to you Nims. Nims, how does it feel when you have that repeated back to you when someone says it out loud? Has it sunk in yet? Um... Definitely, you know, I feel, of course, you know, happy, uh, humble and, uh, you know, proud that the mission has been finished in the way that I said I would have done it. So, yeah, and glad to be here, man. Do you know what? The minute I met you, the, the only way I can describe it is you feel so relaxed, so composed. Like, even if I was stressed, just being sat across you, the energy that you give out is just, you're so chilled. It doesn't feel like many things could bother you. <laughs> I don't know. I say that. Thank you. Thank you. See, he got, yeah, <laughs> he's, just, he's, just, he's just the most relaxed man. I mean, just, just to kind of um, express to you guys what's gone on. I mean, for the last several months, as I said, he's, he's, he's been trying to break this world record. He's only been back in the UK for two days and he's already doing a huge media tour. It's it's relentless. You do not stop, do you? Yeah. If I'm being completely honest, us, you know, um, I haven't really slept for now almost a week, and uh, I truly believe that the whole you know Brayman project possible wasn't about me. There's so many believe in this project, and uh, what I'm just doing now is my duty towards those people and friends who had helped me. But you know, I'm happy. 
and uh, I'm here and and thank you for you know, having me today brother. Do you know what I'm going to quote something you said here and this is something that you keep repeating to people because I think this is what is so important. I believe in this project and I made sure to surround myself with people who believed in it too. This was never just about me, which is why I've been able to overcome such huge obstacles on this journey. By achieving this goal, I knew I could inspire all generations across the world. And that's it man, it doesn't matter what you are faced with. When you make it about people, it makes it worthwhile. You know, I wrote that quote when I was on the mountains and um you know, I just had a quite of in you know, a back flash of you know what I had been through and all and um yeah, the summarize of the whole thing was exactly you know, what you have said, you know, the project was never about me. Um, there was no greed in the project. It was for the human endeavor. It was for the mankind. And if I'm being honest, the amount of struggle I have been through with this project from from day one, you know, having the funds issues, you know, people not believing in your vision, you know, everyone think that you are a joke, you know, to start off with the mountains and then obviously so many factors came into play, the weather conditions, you know, we climb in such a weather conditions where people wouldn't even dare to come outside the tents, you know, from, you know, rescue incidents, you know, dealing with, you know, minor to bigger politics, sorting out all this stuff at the same time. And it was about the mankind and it's about, I think, you know, hopefully we can make the positivity louder, you know. Which is important. And I think... What's crazy about this, right? So if you look at how many years you beat the previous record by, you have said, if you were to take out all of the stresses of, of finance, like sponsors, yeah, you know, um, hurdles faced by different countries and people, you mm -hmm. truly believe that you could have reduced that record by another two months. You think you could have achieved this challenge in four months. Yes, I could have that, you know, easily, to be honest. Which, which is unbelievable. Just for those that, that maybe don't know the magnitude of these mountains, each mountain that Nims climbed was over 8,000 meters. And essentially, you enter into a thing, what they call the death zone, right? Because actually, yeah. human life cannot exist there. Yes. This is how dangerous the elements are. Yeah, exactly. So 8,000 meter and above is a death zone. And, you know, the human body is literally dying you know no one can survive there and uh, the way I how I can explain that zone is you know pretty much you know everything what you do at sea level is in you know, a 10 times tougher because you know there's no oxygen and all this in you know, a situation so yeah and am I right in saying only 40 people have ever achieved this right yeah there are only four yes only 40 people who have submitted all the 14 uh, highest mountain in the world but you now obviously hold the world record. Do you think it's naive of a person to say, because Nims was a Gurkha or special forces, this is something that he should easily be able to achieve? Or do you think that's think that it's, is, it's stupid to think like that? That is super misleading because, you know, without, you know, downplaying with you know, all my colleagues that I have served, you know, you have to have certain kind of, you know, physiology as well and, and, and everybody's different, you know, not just because you're special forces, you could, you know, you know, do this. And um, I also have a few friends from special forces who climb all this mountain and they they do say like, Nims, you know, I haven't even recovered just from climbing Everest and it's been almost like, you know, two months. I don't know how the hell 
you can do back to back without no sleep and all this. So um, it is different. Do you know why I think you did it? I've never climbed a mountain, but a marathon seems big. Yeah. But when you're doing two marathons, it doesn't seem as hard. Mm. When you're doing five marathons, it seems pretty irrelevant. And I think psychologically, if you are just targeting Everest, it's enormous. But when you're targeting 14, believe it or not, I think it makes Everest just that little bit smaller. Yeah, and, and, and that probably becomes your asset, right? Uh, yes, and, and all those mountains that we have, like, you know, for example, Annapurna, you know, one in four dies, you know, that's the, that's the ratio, K2, one in four dies. And there are so much more technical and way harder mountains than Everest. It doesn't matter what your background is or how much knowledge you have. You cannot predict the weather conditions. Like you said, the wind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it it is that's that that is what makes these mountains so unpredictable or is, yeah. is is the drastic change in weather conditions mm-hmm. where it can go from being the perfect climb to fatal yeah so actually whether you have that knowledge or not every situation is going to be different so essentially every mountain that you're climbing could be the last yes how do you psychologically even put yourself into that position because what blows my mind about you here is is that you are not an established climber as such like you have Mm -hmm. climbed mountains but like you wouldn't be one of the most well-known names within the industry you only took up climbing back in 2012 yeah everything what i do in my life and if i just say that i'm gonna do it or it is part of it or that is my mission then i give 100 percent and when I say 100%, it is 100%. It's not 99.9 and all. So, yeah, and I think for me with the mountain, you know, the way I started was, you know, when when I got deployed in many countries and people ask you, you know, of course, you know, I'm with all my friends. They're like white guys, tall, all this. And they were like, yeah, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Nepal. And then... <laughs> Many would know and some wouldn't know. Then if it's no, then I would say, okay, do you know Garcha? And if they said no, then I said, okay, do you know Mount Everest? And they would be like, yeah, we know Mount Everest. Then the another question I used to get from them was, have you seen it? Have you seen with your eyes? And I was like, no. So I just wanted to tick that box. And that was the sole reason why I went to Nepal to Everest Best Camp Trek. But can you explain to the listeners how it came about you climbing your first mountain. Again, this was not a person with with, with training. He yeah. definitely did not prepare for this. You basically had just finished serving with, with the special forces in Afghanistan, right? Yeah. Can you can you share with us the story? Because so, this is crazy. Yeah. So at that point, you know, I just wanted to, you know, see and how it feels when when you reach to the summit and then what it looks like. But what um I got from that experience was, you know, when you serve with these special forces, you know, when you have done so many, you know, stuff that, you know, you think they are the greatest and all, and you certainly feel like you are invincible, you know. Then when I started that climb, you know, the mountain put things into perspective for me. And, and that was it. And, and from there it started. But the way you did it is, is what is so unique. So essentially <laughs> Nim had served time in Afghanistan and they wanted him to, to serve again, which, you know, I guess you, you were entitled to some time off and they very kindly gave you three weeks off. Yes, that was in uh, 2016. So I got that time off and I was like, you know, 
what I'm going to do with this, you know, time off. I just don't want it to go in a beach holiday. And, you know, if there's a week and all, I could have just gone to a holiday and all. But um, I had promised my wife that I was going to take her on a holiday because bear in mind, only a few months ago, I was deployed in Afghanistan for six months. Now this is my back-to-back tour. But then I told her, like, whenever in my life I would have this much time off and every season is on. The only thing was, it was a quite risk assessment for me. One, the rest of the season's mountaineers were six weeks ahead of me. And second was like I had no money. So anyway, I convinced my wife and then convinced to took a personal loan of £15,000 saying that I was going to buy a car, emptied a bit of saving. Then, um, yeah, I went to Nepal and my brothers are in the Gurkhas, you know, they're retired. I didn't tell anyone, not my mom, dad and all. So eventually went to Nepal, submitted Everest. Uh, on the way down, I rescued a female climber who was left behind to die by her team and all the guides. Um, obviously, she's now safe and she's back home with her family. And uh, yeah, within four days of submitting Everest, I was in Afghanistan kicking door and nobody knew about it other than my <laughs> wife. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> And the funny, when you described this story to me, so when, when Nims was serving in Afghanistan, his friends and, and colleagues were saying, you know, what have you done in your time? Bear in mind, this is a time that you're meant to go back home and spend with your family and, and kind of recuperate yeah. from everything. You went out on a whim, took a loan from a bank because you were going to buy a car. You were meant to go on holiday with 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 your with your wife and you ended up going to Everest and saving someone not just climbing Everest but you saved somebody as well it it just sets a tone for how you've lived your life i think it's just remarkable so although certain individuals might may find this impossible or you know fascinating that you've achieved this world record it sounds like you've been doing so many things before that have led you to this point this isn't unique to your your life or how you live it and I think that, you know, that, that is what fascinates me about you. I would like to pass this message to those who are listening today. I was with the Gurkhas, served with them for six years. Then I said to them, hey, I'm going to go for the selection for UK Special Forces, SBS. And then everyone was like, Nims, come on, you know. No, no one's done that. that before, have they? Yeah, and they were like, you know, you cannot pass this. And then sometimes, you know, there are some instructors within the military who you look up to, who you aspire to, and then they also say that, you know, it's not possible. But then here in all these things is only you know yourself. No one knows better than yourself. So I was very dedicated. You know, my normal training regime at that point was I used to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, carry 70 pounds do 20 kilometers like march then i would normally reach the 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 headquarters about you know 6 30 then i normally do like normal army stuff pt then whole day evolution finish at 4 30 i run back like clean fatigue um back to my house then i used to go to gym i used to do like 60 i know to 65 mile cycling then i used to do freestyle in 100 uh, you know meter land like 100 times, you know, like, I'm not a good swimmer. So um, I had never been home before, like, I've never slept before midnight. But the whole thing here is, in this process of six months training, I never stopped. I never said, oh, today is raining, you know. It's pretty nasty in England when, when it rains and when it snows. But I never 
blame the the weather. I never blame the you know objects. You know, I did what I said I was gonna do it, and eventually. I passed the selection. I became the first ever Gurkha to pass the selection for um, special boat service. Yeah, and I think there is a saying, you know, you are only limited by your imagination. And, and I think this is, you know, so true. Even coming with this project, um, nobody could imagine this. Even I couldn't even imagine this. I'm glad that I am one of the first person to think about the the possibilities within a thousand meter peak. Um, but again, you know, when I first started climbing, I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to climb, you know, one 8,000 meter peak in a year. And, and that's me limiting myself. And what I did was came to Kathmandu. Um, we had a big celebration with the guys for a week. Then I went up again. Then I climbed Everest again. I climbed Lhotse and Makalu. That's world first, fourth and fifth highest mountain. And at the end, I was supposed to get a heli pickup from the base camp uh, because I had to get back to work. But... The heli couldn't come because of the weather. So what I had to do is I had to run all this in six days worth of trekking in that extreme environment. And I did that in 18 hours and I was still okay. And that's when I realized I had so much to give into this um, mountaineering world. Even just becoming the first person to go from Gurkha to SPS in itself was, was huge. To then in some respects, even excel that to what you've done now. I mean, you're like, you're, you know, I look at you as one of the pioneers of our generation. You know, I love the fact that even when people have told you you cannot do something, you've gone and done it. Because I think too often, it doesn't matter what it is that's going on in this world. Too often, unfortunately, somebody is wrapped up in the wrong network and they end up preventing themselves from living their life in the way that they wish to. And that's a shame because, as you know, you have one life. And I love the fact that people have told you, you can't do this. And you've not yeah. only gone and done it, but you've smashed it by years. Yeah. So we had planned this project, you know, one year. You have to give a year notice. So this had two strands. One was operational. So that was my expertise. I'm planning the whole logistic, which mountain to climb at what time and all. But the other one was raising the fund which was not my expertise, so some somebody had taken the lead. But only three months prior, I knew that the funding part failed. Plan B is always there. You know, plan B is the easiest option. You know, you can, you know, you can take that out of the pocket. So the biggest thing from all this thing was, you know, don't have plan B. Plan B is there. Now, I know the funding can be a hard element to it, but actually in the grand scheme of things, we, you know, we often act or work and believe that tomorrow is promised. And the reality is it's not. That's one of the most naive things I think a human can do. I focus on the now and on today. Yeah. And when my mind tells me I'm ready to climb this mountain or run, mm -hmm. you know, do a marathon, I haven't actually climbed a mountain. I don't even know why I said that. But if my mind tells me I want to do it, I'm just going to go and yeah. do it. Yeah. And it's about like, you know, we all have our mountains to climb in life. It's not only about this. This project, hopefully, you know, people understand from the bigger picture that, you know, yeah, it's not about nymphs running on the mountain. It's about the vision. Anything what you do want to do in life, you have just just have to give 100%, you know, from your heart, from your soul and, and everything. And with a positive mindset. Otherwise, just, just don't do it. Do the things that you love. Do it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the greatest gifts we have is that thirst for knowledge to achieve things that haven't been done before. So why restrict that? I'm a firm believer that 
in 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 everyone in in the whole of the life every problem has a solution you know so yeah just be the one you know who solves the problem and you know you know keep moving on uh, and uh, like i said you, know, you could have just blamed the kid and and not do that but you are not one of those you are like yes we can do without that what i think's fascinating about you you've vocalized quite strongly your disappointment to so many different humans in your life having been someone who's committed his life to them there's been several situations when climbing mountains you've come across a situation where and i know be it there is a rule that when you are in dire straits on the mountain mm-hmm. the policy is is that you have to think of yourself first yeah. because it is life or death mm-hmm. you were descending anapuna yeah so that's the world most dangerous mountain you actually rescued a fellow climber Yeah. But what disappointed you is that there there were opportunities for people to bring a second oxygen bottle. Am I right? Can yeah. You, can you go into detail so, about this? Being completely honest, um we had submitted, we were at camp four. We knew that Mr. Chin was missing on the mountains and what I said to the insurance company and all is look I don't need anything. What we need is four bottles of cylinder. Even though we don't know where he is, I'm going to go and look out for him. And um of course that didn't happen. You know, it has their own policy whatever it is. Then yeah, we got back to base camp. You know, we we 100% believe that he was dead by the, this point because it's almost like 36 hours. I went to bed at three o'clock, having just submitted Annapurna, but then six o'clock a Serpa came into my tent. It's like names names you know mr chin is apparently alive and there were helicopters so mr chin's wife had paid from her pocket to just asking this helicopter to go and see if her husband is on the mountains and yeah so they said he's alive so i wanted to see where he is because now straight away i'm thinking about the rescue jump into the helicopter um and what i see was you know this man you know he's just waving his hand so I went up. We got dropped with a long line, so we hung up in a helicopter. Uh, got into camp three. So from camp three to where he was on the summit day, it took us eighteen hours to get there. When we went to rescue, we reached him in four hours. Wow! Above a thousand meter peak, you know, most of the people get phased away by uh, by the survival instinct. And the way to describe this is, you know, like if you are drowning in the swimming pool, doesn't matter if you got your mom, dad, or your wife, whatever it is, you try to grab them and you try to survive. So I was in Kanchenjunga. So Kanchenjunga is the world's third highest mountain. It was the hardest climb I have ever done in my life. You know, four days of no sleep, pure climbing, and we submitted that like at 6 p.m. Normally, any mountains, what I have done is we have submitted before like 11. and we turn around but it was so tough that we we had to push and we submitted 6 pm in the evening got back down straight into kanchenjunga and how people climb this big mountains they go to camp 1 sleep they go to camp 2 sleep camp 3 sleep camp 4 from camp 4 they go to the summit so we were going to the summit directly from the base camp we submitted on the way down we found three climbers Eight thousand four hundred fifty meters. This is pure death zone, okay. And we gave our oxygen. Now, this is the one reason why I climb with oxygen because when people are literally dying, I have the ability to give my oxygen and still conduct the rescue. Okay. It was one of the hardest thing we have ever done. 
and how in terms of science you know when you go from camphor and you are taking you are climbing without oxygen your body is climatizing your body is adapting but when you just come off the oxygen at 1450 meters your body thinks you are in different elevation and when you come off it's like suicidal mission but anyway we know what were limitations were we started doing the rescue i have been begging for help for more than 11 hours okay there were more than 40 climbers at campo who went to the summit from in you know, a stage by stage they were well rested then my situation my conditions my team situation so me migma and gesman were doing this rescue it was the hardest thing man and then from campo to where we were like up you know by that point we bring them down it was only 2 hours away but man nobody came for support as soon as the oxygen ran out the guy passed away in my arm it was horrendous then at that point what i realized is yeah people people you know there are mountaineers who call themselves solo alpinists all this but when nobody came for help when i was actually crying on the radio for 11 hours it, it was something very unusual feeling for me um but yeah we 40 people that is so conflicting because i guess if you go to, if you look at all 40 of those people their argument might be you know i've i've got a wife or i've got children you know i yeah you know yeah. i if i if i pass away the effect it will have financially on my family in terms of support mm-hmm. i'm the provider i don't know maybe it's just on the on, on, maybe it's on the flip side selfishness is that sometimes we value our own lives more than we do somebody else's yeah and that's fine i don't think there's a right or wrong but It just seems madness to me that if 40 people are there and there is the potential to bring oxygen to one human being that man could have survived and yeah. I guess that that's a tough thing It's for you to, have to digest you know like it just take you know like two hours. by the, this point now we are at the point of 11 hours it was only two hours uphill they just need to have be on one oxygen and bring in you know, a cylinders but nobody came for help and uh, yeah out of this whole thing only two guys survived to died um but for me that was a really emotional point uh, i still remember i called my wife and i just had tears coming through i was like yeah i think that's where i lost my control for the first time in my life because it was more emotional it's a pretty um, good reason to to be fair then so yeah man i i got to camp for i didn't want to speak to anyone um then i got to base camp and i i carried on my mission but yeah the the whole project been you know horrendously in you know, epically from all level you know I, i i learn a lot from it the fact that you've 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 made six rescues i think says a lot um and i think it makes you more equipped if that ever happens which is which yeah. is so valuable the whole point of limitless is to show people that mankind is limitless mm-hmm. you know anytime 100%. we 100% anytime we feel like we can't i guarantee it might take hundreds of years but someone eventually will show you that you can yeah Do you ever though in all honesty be everything that you've achieved the background that you have the positive mentality that you have do you ever have an i can't moment in your mind to be honest and i have never given up in my life and um even though you know i believe you know i have been telling this to my team as well when you think that you are flat out you still have 60% <laughs> when i feel like i'm done i know that i'm not I know that I'm not, you know, you've just got to beat that mindset because it is it's it, it's a, it can be a weakness but it can also be the most powerful tool. 
Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a case of learning how to channel it, I think is mm -hmm. what is important because it's sometimes really hard to even control your own mindset, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, and I think that's why it takes this level of a challenge for people to be inspired. For me, you know, yeah, I would like to thank, you know, the whole of my team. We started climbing as a team. Now we are brothers, we are family. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for believing in me. Um, I said, you know, as as I said from day one, this was never about me. I'm so thankful and humble um, that I got chance to have my personal development um, from Special Forces. Uh, of course, you know, comes under the Queen. This is only the beginning. You know, I was a part-time climber. My my main job was, you know, full-time, you know, UKSF TA1 operator. So there's a lot to do in this world, not only necessarily with the mountaineering, but, you know, doing bigger things for, for bigger reasons. Um, and, you know, I'm a Gurkha. And I said this from day one, you know, my loyalty cannot be bought by money. You know, I am who I am. You know, I didn't join any special forces to be, you know, rich guy or brigadier general. It was pure passion. You know, I, I believe in my identity you know thank you so much for being kind to to all the Gurkhas um yeah it's um yeah it's, it is you know I'm, I'm just so humble and and so happy man that I could do something not only you know showing the capability of the British military uh, but also pushing you know the human kind of you know limit to to next level honestly <laughs> Nims uh, thank you so much for being yeah. here today it's an honor, bro, to meet you thank today. Thank you so much. Thank you so thank much. You so much, man. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to Limitless. This podcast is something that I'm so passionate about and would love it if you would let me know your thoughts and opinions by leaving a rating and a review in the comment section. It really helps me to spread the word. If you think this story might resonate with someone you know, then please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes every Thursday where I'll be talking to more inspirational guests who have seen past their limits. Until next time.